Welcome. You're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they've been to us. And without further ado, we say welcome to Apologetics Sunday. So guys, we're going to have an amazing time today. Uh, for those of you who are joining us for the very first time, this is Bible Marathon. All right. The whole goal of Bible Marathon is to be a platform that is supplemental to our growth and progress um, in the faith. Right. So um, we always make sure that we meet up often and we have all these structures put in place to make sure that we are growing. So it's supplemental. It's not a replacement to the church. It is supplemental to the work of the church. And I'm sure that those of you who've been here for a while have been tremendously blessed. Um, today is going to be very, very exciting because we have a very, very important topic. Um, we've been anticipating something like this for a long time. Um, but if you notice, most of our sessions have been didactic. So just teaching um, and very clear doctrinal, you know, exegesis on different issues, right? But what we're going to do today is just have a conversation on a very important topic, which is, I mean, and it's, it's, it's not even just, just a random topic. This is a topic that has bogged so many people. We're talking many years back in church history to this very day, people still having the, a difficulty in comp- comprehending this concept. And I want to tell you upfront before we get into it, that don't expect us to give you an answer that, that you know, every single test. All right, I'm, I'm telling you now, because if we do that, then wow, we, we, probably, we probably do not need a master's degree or, or PhD in theology or anything like that. Um, what we do know is that there are some things we, we ought to understand about this subject. And so we're talking about sovereignty versus free will. All right, sovereignty versus free will. And it's going to be interactive, but because we have limited time, it's going to be a conversation um, where we're going to have two main speakers, and I'll be one of those speakers. We're going to be having my brother, Treasure, that we already know. Um, Woma is going to be speaking with me. I, I call him Dr. Treasure now because, you know... <laughs> He's always having deep insights on everything. So um, why are we discussing this? Let me just tell you that I feel like in the church, in the body of Christ today, um, some things are just left out. A lot of people don't get trained enough in the church, so they have to go to Bible schools. And that's like, wow, why do we have Bible schools? What the church is supposed to do is to teach doctrine. The Bible says that the You know, the church is founded on the apostles and prophets, Christ being the chief cornerstone. And then he goes ahead to talk about how God has given these people, pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, apostles, for the work of the, right, for the edifying of the saints. And the whole, their task is to train us up till we come to the unity of the faith, to maturity. But the church isn't doing that as much as it should be. It's happening in a lot of places, and we thank God for that. But a lot of Christians are not being fed well. So when they face opposition, they can't answer questions. And so what we want to do and what we've been doing every Apologetic Sunday for the past few months has been targeted on different issues that we get objections to, right? We've talked about the resurrection. 
We've defended the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've, we've um, talked about Christian cults and what they believe and why we don't hold on to what they believe. And now we're talking about this very touchy subject of sovereignty and free will. So I want you guys to be ready, keep your minds alert, get ready um, for the time. But before we go into this theological and philosophical conversation, I'd like us to join um, in a time of prayer. All right, so let's pray and then we'll move on. Father in heaven, we worship and we love you. Thank you for this opportunity to gather again. Um, thank you for how far we've come as Bible Marathon. We are running a race in every sense of that word. We are running and we are running, not looking back, you know, not turning back. We're running forward and we're going for that prize. We know that you have an inheritance waiting for us. And Lord, we, we know and we trust your word. Um, we're about to have a conversation right now on this very, very touchy subject. And we ask for insight that everything will be done orderly and with decorum and everything here said will be edifying to us all. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. So before I go ahead, um, please, I'm talking to the co-host right now. Please be alert as people join. Please add them in. I don't want to be distracted. And I'm sure major speaker too doesn't want to be distracted as well so at this point i'm just going to welcome a few people and then i'll officially welcome uh treasure to the stage so i see can, Shaitan, I, can I welcome can i welcome somebody special yeah go ahead please okay guys so um i don't know if you guys actually heard me in the beginning shout someone's name his name is jeremiah Ogazi. fantastic guy by the way um okay so i refer to jerry as like my mentor so this evening as i'm going to be talking i'm going to be like under pressure i hope <laughs> i don't see something out of line but i don't know how many of you know john piper bethlehem seminary so jerry is a theologian like in the making like going to piper seminary bethlehem um and uh, he's an awesome brother of mine so i just needed to like just Guys, this is Jerry. <laughs> I know that Jerry is so good to have you today. I'm so excited. So, Ernest. <laughs> All right. I should, I'll probably do the same, but you just did everything right there. Jerry has been a good friend uh, way back from um, Covenant University, but we, we kind of lost communication for a very long time. But I always kept hearing about everything that was happening with you, and I'm, I'm grateful to God um for what he's doing in your life so we really appreciate you and thanks for being here um let me say hi to a few people i'm seeing someone who is called michael adeniji um i haven't seen you here before so i'm i'm assuming you're a new member to bible marathon you're coming here for the first time we appreciate you welcome i see kelechi hi and then i see a lot of people here that are frequent victoria hi Hi, Ademola. Hi, Fumi. Fumi, this is your second time. Yay. I love you so much. Um, Daniel. Wow, Daniel Babalola is here. Um, Daniel is a dear friend of mine. I'm, 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 you see me, I'm sweating too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm joking. But yeah, yeah. If you don't see me, Ernest, I can see you. I'm coming now. There's a lot of names to read through. And that's not your name. Better change your name. I'll call you Predicare. Predicare, <laughs> uh, so that's yeah, Yinka. Thanks for being here, Yinka. Busayo, 
Hope it's not too hot where you are, but good to have you here. Olalade is here. She said I shouldn't mention her name, but I'm sorry. I have to. I see Praise. I see Monday. Hi. These are new names. But you're, you're in for an awesome time. Um, remember, like I said, there's a format to this. We're going to have a conversation, but we're going to have multiple times when we open the floor. By the way, Miriam, I see you. Daniel, I see you. If I, if I didn't call you, it's not because I ignored you. I just have a lot on my screen. Sorry. All right. Yep. Yeah, um, Daniel, um, nice to finally meet you, actually. I've been seeing a lot of Daniel, Daniel things on a lot of people's status. So it's good to finally meet D, Daniel. Yeah. How are you doing? Daniel? If I, I should give a shout out. He's been doing um, something called Journey Through the Epistles. So he's every Saturday. Yeah, I think I've, been, I've actually been seeing that on a lot of people's status. And I'm like fan, doing a fantastic job. Mm. Right. Okay, so let's get started. People are like, oh yeah, stop talking about yourselves. Let's start this conversation. Um, so the first thing I want to bring up here is the image you can see on that screen. And it's the image of choice. If any one of you has watched um, Matrix, the Matrix, you remember when this guy, you know, said, choose a pill, the red pill or the blue pill. And he had to make a choice. I don't know the whole story again. It's been a while I watched Matrix, but that gives, you know, the sense of a choice. And and that's really the premise of what we're talking about today. And if you look at the subtext there, it says, if God is sovereign, are we truly free? But some people are probably wondering, what is this word? What does sovereign mean? What does free will mean? So let's have kind of like a conversation around that. We're going to look at a few texts in scripture that kind of paints this idea of sovereignty and also the idea of free will. And then hopefully by God's spirit and by his help, come to a conclusion if we can today, on what the Bible really does teach about this and how we should live. Because the whole point is not just coming to a theological conclusion, but how does it play out in our everyday lives, right? So let's, let's, um, let me invite Treasure to the podium. And then your first question, Treasure, is really definitions. What is sovereignty and what is free will? Um, <clears throat> hi, guys. Good evening or good afternoon to everyone, wherever you guys are. And um, to this topic, um, when Anna said we we're going to do this topic together, I was like, wow, it's because it's, it entails a lot. And basically what we're going to do today is open up your minds, open up your hearts to the topics of um, God's sovereignty, man's free will, because it's... Um, it entails a lot, and we don't have as much time to cover everything. But let's really quickly get into it. Um, before we discuss about sovereignty, I think there are a couple of things that we would have to point out first so that sovereignty gets a bit clearer in our head. Um, there's what we call power, and there's what we call authority. And we've seen that a lot of times the two words are used interchangeably. And I'm sure you're wondering what power and authority probably means. Yeah. So I want to throw it open to the floor. What do you guys think um, is power? And then what do you think is authority? What is like the difference? Is there like any difference to, to it? Um, or what do you guys think? When you hear the words power, authority, sovereignty, what comes to your mind? Okay, for me, yeah, go ahead. Okay, I'm gonna to try to give this a shot by, I guess, 
um, give an example. So, for example, uh, maybe let's say the president of Nigeria, for example, it has power, right? And he has authority in Nigeria being the president of Nigeria. But then if he was to move to, let's say, Canada now, yes, he might have power, like being, I guess, the president of Nigeria, but then he doesn't have authority in Canada because that's past his jurisdiction in a way. So that's the best I can, yeah, that's, that's I don't know if that, yeah, yeah, that's it. Thanks. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah, fantastic. Adimola said power, Agidi. <laughs> Authority. Sorry, I can't pronounce that word, Adimola. Don't be angry. <laughs> I can't pronounce the second word. Um, Daniel, what do you think power, when you hear the words power, authority, sovereignty, what do you think, what comes to mind? Are there, is it me or there are two Daniels, right? Daniel Babalola. Um, (laughs) I think power and authority the way I like to think about it is um, so you can power is the ability to do something right so you can have the power to let's say um, you're in a hospital you you have the power literally you have the ability to maybe carry the front desk out of the building I think authority is more like the I don't want to use the word legal, but more like the right to exercise power. So um, you you are not you don't have the authority to do so, even though it's in your power to do so. I hope that makes sense. Um, yeah, that's how I like to think of both. Um, fantastic. One more person, um, Buki. Hi, Buki. It's been a while. I actually I actually heard from you. So, Buki, what do you think when you hear power, authority, or sovereignty? What what comes to your mind? I think you put her on the spot though. She doesn't know you called her. Buki. <laughs> though. Okay. I mean, you can keep the question it's open. Fine. Oh, she's trying yeah, to unmute. Yeah. Let me help okay. you out. Can you do it now? Technology. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she will type it. Don't worry, it's not working. Okay. She will type it, but uh, let's ask. Let's go on here. Okay, so um, who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Okay, so um, the other Daniel, Daniel Adiza, yes, please. Okay, um, hello everybody. Good evening. Can you guys hear me? Okay, um, yes, we can. For me, authority is the legitimacy of power. Um, when somebody has, I like that power, word. But doesn't have the right authority to exercise it it becomes tyranny but power power coupled with the authority it's meant to have legitimizes the power so whenever that power is executed it's never seen as a moral injustice or any form of wrong it is seen as legitimate and proper so for me author, um, authority is the legitimacy of power fantastic fantastic um so picking up from where Daniel and um, the two Daniels actually were very spot on. Um, power actually has to do with the ability, right, to do something. So I have power over people or I have the ability to command someone. You know what? 
you need to do this, you need to do that. And the person does it. Now that is power. Um, authority, as you've all clearly mentioned, is the right to exercise that power. As Daniel actually mentioned, the legitimacy of that power. So it is possible you could have the power, but then again, the right to exercise the power, it's an entire ballgame. And then how does this link up to sovereignty? Basically, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, or when we look at the sovereignty of God, we're simply saying he is, if you go by dictionary definition of sovereignty, and that is someone's authority over people to establish or change a law within a given area. Right, um, and we hear things like um, sovereign state. That means this, the state has the power and the authority to rule itself. It has the right to exercise its power and all that, or the right to exercise the ability to make its members of that state right abide to its laws or to its governance. So when we are talking about sovereignty, we look at it. It contains two things. One the authority, and two, the power, right? So I can govern whatever it is within a specific area, but, and I also have that authority or that right to exercise that power within that specific area. And so this is basically what sovereignty talks about. When you look at what NS puts on the screen, um, sorry, NS, can you make it bolder? Supreme power authority. Um, combining both of them, basically. Um, meaning I have the power, I have the authority to act within a specified period or a specified space or a specified state and everything. Now, when we talk about God's sovereignty and we ask ourselves the question, um, what does God rule over? And then we see from the scriptures clearly, it states that the Lord created oh, the heavens and the earth. So he doesn't only have the power or the ability because he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He also has the right to exercise that power over the heavens and the earth. So when we talk about God's sovereignty, Another word to use and look at it is God's lordship over his creation and creatures, right? God's lordship over his creation and the creatures. So God's lordship over the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the space, galaxy, and also over me and you, the animals that he has created, the trees and everything that he has created and all that. So he has both the power and the authority. And that is basically when we look at it, God's sovereignty, the word sovereignty just basically equates or basically means his lordship over his creature and his creations. Um, at this point, does anyone have any questions or anything to add? Or anything that they might want to ask or stuff before I move on? Is it clear to everyone? So I, I, I want to chip in here, basically, that anyone can, you know, this is very interactive. So if you have any thoughts, anything to add at, for, um, on what he just mentioned. So he just defined sovereignty and explained how God is sovereign and what you should think about when God is called sovereign. 
But then my, I think my question back to Treasure is, what is that, ex, what's the extent of this sovereignty? So you've established that God is all powerful, meaning he has the ability to do all things and anything he wants to do. But not only does he have power, he has authority, right? Which means every right to exercise that power. So the question I have for you now is what, to what extent is that sovereignty? Like, is there a limit to it or that's that's a very fantastic question actually um so guys in in a nutshell what ns is asking is if we're saying god is this all-powerful god you know sovereign he has the power to do and undo and he also has the authority or the right to exercise that power is there any limits to that power does anyone here have like a quick answer to that before i start ruling out one or two scriptures to point out something and would also need to clarify on some other concepts. Does anyone have like anything to answer to that? The basic question is, is there any limits to that power? Okay, Jerry. Yay, Jerry. <laughs> um, so do you guys hear me? My AirPods are fake. Yes, fantastic. No. <laughs> so not original. Um, I think it's important for us at this point to talk about um, something called the simplicity of God. Um, the simplicity of God is a is a doctrine that, in some sense, you we let me put it this way: when we read all of Scripture and we read it in light of the fact that Scripture coheres, the simplicity of God is a doctrine that we will arrive at. So I can't point you to one or text, but it's a it's a it's sort of like a a presupposition that the authors of the Bible, the whole canon are working with. And simply defined, pun intended, the simplicity of God is that God in his being is without parts. Meaning he doesn't have any composition or he doesn't have any ingredients. So when you are talking about the goodness of God, you are actually talking about the kindness of God. When you are talking about the kindness of God, you are actually talking about the patience of God. When you are talking about the patience of God, you are actually talking about the mercy of God. When you are talking about the mercy of God, you are actually talking about the wrath of God. When you are talking about the wrath of God, you are actually talking about the justice of God. Us, humanly speaking, Mercy, wrath, all of this looks different. But in God and God in his being, God doesn't have parts. It's not as if you put Magi and curry and no and everything and then you get God. No, God is a simple being. That's 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 the simplicity of God. So when we talk about the sovereignty of God, the challenge that we're gonna have, I'm not answering the question, but I'm just saying. The challenge that we're going to have is sometimes we might try to pluck up sovereignty as an attribute and lose sight of his love. But when we are talking about the sovereignty of God, we are actually talking about the love of God. When we are talking about the love of God, we are actually talking about the lordship of God. So just keep that in mind and remember that God has no parts and all the attributes of God are one and the same in a sense. So that, that's just something to frame the discussion. And the last thing I'll say, this is really important because 
um, at least apologetic. So in Islam, the sovereignty of God is separated from the love of God. I, I can help explain that. It, it means in Islam, when people experience deep um, things from Allah, maybe a child has died or something like that, there is a sense where they look at it as Allah has raw power. In fact, in, in, in one of the um, one of the hadiths of, of the Quran, um, there is a story of a man who's walking into paradise and he's walking on a thin, um, a thin stick. You know all those sticks in Nigeria that when there's photo photo on the road and you know, you know that kind of stuff. And as he's walking, beneath him is hell. And just when he's about, he already had one foot in heaven. And just when he was about to leave the second, he got proud and he thought he was in heaven and immediately he fell. And you listen to that story and you're like, it seems like there is an arbitrariness to God. But when you're talking about the sovereignty of God, his sovereignty is not arbitrary. It's not as if God is just, you know, Idi Amin or some tyrant that just has power. The sovereignty of God is another way of speaking of the love of God. So that's just all I wanted. Sorry, that was long. <laughs> no, no, thank you so much. Yes, Daniel. Yeah, Daniel. <laughs> thank you thank so you much. I also, much. Um, I would add something to what Jerry said before we move on. But yes, Daniel. Thank you very much, Jerry. I, I love that um, contribution. I, I just wanted to point, maybe take um, comment on something you said earlier and kind of when Ernest asked the question about the extent of sovereignty. And I think um, I just what I wanted to say was when we think about sovereignty, sometimes we think about um, what's the word um, like control or um, you are actively exercising your authority in everything that you have authority over. And I don't think that is a diff that that's the natural implication of authority or sovereignty. So, for instance, a parent has authority over his or her kids, um, but doesn't mean that they actively exercise that authority in everything the child does. And in their wisdom, they can, with that sovereign choice, choose to leave certain things to to the um, to the judgment or to the actions of the child. Um, so I, I don't think it's um, contrary or what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that with sovereignty or with the right to exercise power, not even sovereignty per se, with authority or the right to exercise power also comes the choice not to exercise it. And it's still within your authority, if that authority. makes sense. Fantastic. <laughs> Ernest, we, Ernest, we are finished for today now. Yeah? Let's go home. <laughs> No, I close it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but so okay. far, this has been awesome. I want to. I want. I really want us to move. I'm really enjoying Treasure. this. I want us to move okay. because there's still a lot to talk about. So, in a sense, just to summarize what we've said so far, sovereignty. We understand how sovereignty involves the power and the authority of God, and in a sense, be, being in charge of the state of affairs of His terrain or His creation, right? And then we've also seen from what Jerry said that, hey, you don't separate attributes of God as though they are separate parts of God. They are actually one and the same because 
of the, the concept of the simplicity of God. If God's love and, is also... And I think why Jerry would actually mention that is because by the, by the time we rule out some scriptures, Jerry, correct me, yeah? Well, by the time we rule out some scriptures and you see when God is making certain declarations, you you are almost going to think like you have that arbitrary sense of this God that just has raw power. So what imputes technically do we have in anything that we, um, or what, how can we still have the question? How can we still have free will and all that? And so a couple of scriptures that we're going to read uh, and see to what extent does God actually have this power, this control. And then when we see certain things will be, it might sound really alien to some of us and some of us, it might be a bit scary for us, but, Let's just always remember, as Jerry had always said, the simplicity of God. When we talk about the sovereignty, we are also pointing out to the love of God, the love, the mercy, the wrath of God as well. So let's go ahead. Yeah, Ernest, you were raising your hand. Yeah, I just wanted to finish the statement I was making so that we can okay. stay on the same um, thing. So from no problem. what, but let's move, moving from what Jerry said, I just want to make sure that everyone is able to, uh, you know, resolve everything we're saying. And I think there is some sound somewhere. I don't know if anyone can mute for now, please. Okay, so, um, and Daniel also added that don't think sovereignty actually means that God is basically doing every single thing or exercising his authority in every single thing, but also don't think that him not exercising his authority on certain things means he's not in authority over those things. And use the example of, a kid, you know, family. So we have that understanding. Before we go to some scriptures, I want us to really just define free will. All right. So I know I know Treasure was like, let's go to scriptures. And we're going to do that because that's what we do here in Bible Marathon. But while we've seen what sovereignty is defined as and probably what it also isn't, let's see what free will is. So so Treasure, what do you what do you think about what free will is? Or would you like me? So go ahead. Oh, we can try it. Okay. One person can also just say something about it. But go ahead. Okay. So I mean, free will is the the part that I think everyone is okay. Like I mean, fairly understands what it it means. So free, meaning without obstruction in a sense, and then will. So it is a function of a person's mind and intellect, right? So and look at the definition here: the power of acting without the constraint of necessity or fate. This is a very interesting definition from the dictionary. So the power, you remember we talked about sovereignty. We mentioned power and authority. And interestingly, we are seeing that same theme in this framework of free will, right? It's the power of acting without the constraint of necessity of faith. Doesn't that ring a bell? That's in a sense um, what sovereignty is. Just that from God's perspective, he's the one exercising his free will. <laughs> I don't want to confuse anyone, but that's just something I saw that was interesting. But the definition of free will is just, you know, the power of acting. In, in simple terms, you can decide to do something. So it was my free will choice to raise this cup, take a sip. Was it, it was my free will choice to join this Zoom meeting. I could have decided not to, right? So from that context alone, that's free will. Does anyone have any thoughts or questions on this, or maybe an addition to this definition. Remember, the synonyms would be 
voluntary, you know, willfully. Who 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 has something to add? Um, I like to add something, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this will help the discussion tonight or whether it will deter it. But for a while now, I've been thinking of the use of the word free will, and in a way, it sounds very very illegitimate. The reason why I say that is because when we use the word free, we use it in a sense of totality of the word free. So like the definition you gave, without interference, right? But we, when we look at scripture, and um, this might be an inter- misinterpretation on my own part, when the Bible talks about um, believing in the gospel, there's a requirement of the interference of the spirit. If the spirit doesn't lead the heart of the man to believe, the person most likely will not believe, no matter how well put you put the message of the gospel. So right there, in a way, it is your will to believe in the gospel. Also, it is interfered on by the Holy Spirit in a way. I don't know if you guys catch what I'm saying. So from that, from looking at things from that aspect, if the, using the word free will sounds very, very legitimate because it also requires a sense of sovereignty, totality and sovereignty. Because if, I, if I'm to have total free will, God cannot interfere in any way. That's my thought on it. So I don't know if this helps the conversation tonight. Okay, that was that was that was interesting and just an addition. And like you said, it's very likely we will Daniel is raising Yeah, I see. I see. I see his hands. Yeah, Daniel, do you want to add to that? Yes. Um, permit me to slightly disagree with the sense in which. Even though free will is the ability to choose one's course of action, I don't think by definition it means at the, uh, with the absence of external influence. And so if I want to choose a degree to study, I'm going to read articles, I'm going to talk to my friends, I'm going to ask my parents, and each person is going to try to also bring right. in their own opinion. But at the end of the day, it's the sum total of how I receive all those advice I will still be the one to, in quote, make the decision. So maybe it's, again, a perspective. So if you're saying free will is, I don't think the definition of free will means acting without external influence. Um, right. But yeah, I, I think, like you said, that could be something we could talk about <laughs> on an entirely different topic, but yeah. Right. So uh, before I, before I, before I um, allow okay. Jerry to speak, I want okay. to be sure, I want to be sure that we're not losing anyone because I feel like uh, for me, I, I want us to be growing, to be uh, paying attention as much as possible. But we've used a lot of terms just in our conversation. Like we've mentioned presupposition, we've mentioned mm-hmm. a lot of theological Simplicity. terms. So, so let's keep it simple. <laughs> everyone that's going to speak, please let's keep it simple for everyone mm-hmm. at every level. All right. So, um, yeah, Jerry. who would like to speak? Jerry, yeah, so Jerry's uh, okay, so I think it's very helpful for us, first of all. Um, sorry, I'm always not answering the question, but it's always helpful for us to talk about the, the nature of man in the sense that when we are talking about free will, we are already assuming that we are created agents that have actions that bear meaning on the world, right? So the very fact that we are all gathering right now to talk about free will is um, 
is monkeys don't gotta to do this. So there is a uniqueness in that we are created after the image of God. And that's another topic which you guys have probably handled all. But we we are um our moral and our reasoning processes bear action, like they bear fruit in the world. So I think having that in the background, that's the first thing I want to see. But the second thing that is important is I would say free will is man's freedom and consistency to act according to his nature. There is there's there is there there has to be in nature that man is consistently active towards. So if you necessarily, if you take it, and this is something that we have to be very careful about as we talk and live in a society where there is a rise in um, cases like suicide or cases like mental illnesses and mental disability and stuff. We need to say that people act consistent to their nature. That does not mean that the choice that they choose is, you know, free without interference, or that doesn't mean that coercion doesn't happen, rape doesn't happen. People could talk about free will in such a way that it begins to damage um, people who have experienced deep wounds and pain and at the heart of others. And, we, you know, we've heard that. So what we need to emphasize is that people act consistent with their nature. Um, and that, that's yeah. Thank you. Thanks for that. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. So I, I think I want to move ahead, forge ahead, and just show a bit of um, scriptures on um, some things that talk about the sovereignty or the absolute power of God. Um, that's how I like to call it sometimes, the absolute power of God. And all. And I want to emphasize again on something Jerry said earlier. Um, when you hear these things, don't just make it, don't think about it in the side lane, the light of God being a God that's just up there and everything. But we have to think about it in line of all his other attributes as well. And then the first scripture I'd like to mention, sorry, NS, I might deviate a bit from the anchor scripture. Right? So the first scripture I want to talk about is actually Daniel chapter 4. And um, I'll quickly read. I don't know how many of you remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar. So there was a, to give you a quick background, there was a period in time when Nebuchadnezzar actually had, um, um, he had a dream. And then the dream was a bit troubling to him. So he called Daniel for Daniel to interpret this dream. And when you read from verse um, 18, um, the first part is here from verse 19. Let me just quickly read from verse 19 to about 27. Then Daniel said, or oh, Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And then Daniel responded, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. And then he starts basically explaining or explaining the dream and now the explanation of the dream when you read down to 27 was that the points were he would literally 
leave his kingdom and eat grass for a period of time, right? He would lose his senses for a period of time. And it was going to come to pass. And then the interesting part of it is when you now read from like verse 28, it now says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, blah, 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 blah. And then he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? Now, everything Daniel interpreted to the, as the meaning of the dream, we now see it actually happening. And then, as I like to joke, my guy Nebuchadnezzar, after some time, was eating grass and all that until the fulfillment of time as Daniel had interpreted. And he says from verse 34, that's now where I want to emphasize, 34 to 37, says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes. Now, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking towards heaven. And my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. And now this is Nebuchadnezzar's statement. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. This is verse 35. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Right? And then he goes on and he says, at the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything is he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Um, and then you sit back and you think, like, what's Nebuchadnezzar actually saying? Um, what does he mean by no one can hold back his hand or no one can say to him, what has he done? He does as he pleases. He with the powers of heaven and with the peoples of the earth. And then you think about it and you're like, okay, so what does this mean? Does it mean like he has control over everything, like the heavens and the people of the earth? And then when you go further, now to the anchor scripture, please. Um, um, Isaiah chapter 46 from verse 9 to 11. Um, let me quickly get to that. 46 from verse 9 to 11. And this is what it says. It says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Verse 10. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come? I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. And then he goes on to verse 11 and he says, from the east, I summon a bird of prey from a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said that I will bring about, what I have planned that I will do, right? And then right now as he's talking, we see that he actually refers to his foreknowledge. Right and all that, but there's something I want to quickly mention about the foreknowledge of God. 
a misconception that I think a lot of us might have had at some certain point in time. Now, when you think of the foreknowledge of God, what a lot of us think is seeing ahead of time, right? Basically seeing more or less, knowing what is going to happen and all that. But the truth about the matter, and, and sometimes we, we think about God in that light, in the sense that God has foreknown what is going to happen. And we think about it in the sight like, or someone who, like a prophet or a seer, or someone who kind of sees the future, a fortune teller who sees the future and tells you this and this and this is not how it should go. But what the Bible actually, or what the scripture actually is pointing to when we read it, how does he know these things? Because he has planned these things. So the question I like to ask most times when people are thinking this way is if God were to just for no future events in the way a fortune teller probably sees future events um, before he ordained anything, if that was the case, then who was it that God saw himself in the future making some necessary adjustments and amendments? And what I mean by this is, was it that God sat back and then he looked in the future and he said, ah, Daniel Babalola was going to do this and this and this this day. And because of that, he now sees himself saying, no, my son, I will not let you do this, this X, Y, Z. Just giving a random example. That isn't what happens, right? The moment you think of God in that light, you are saying that he is bound by time. And then the moment you say that he is bound by time, then there is something higher than God. And we all know that God is above all. And he created time. So it's not a case that he looked into the future and he saw himself like a fortune teller would look into the future and would see some things that were going to happen and then he'll not be wanting you know. God's foreknowledge is as a result of the fact that he ordained and has planned, right? So we don't look at it as a, a, a thing of, of um, the um, your like we humans that we see into or if God gives us the ability to actually see future events before they happen and everything. And I'm like, ah, this is what I should do and this isn't what I should do. No, he's not bound by time, right? His foreknowledge is as a result of the fact that he, the father, has planned future events. So it's not, a, that's why with God, it is never a probability. It is a certainty, Right? There are no possible futures. There is one plan, one ordination. It is never a thing of, um, so we see the future. So for, because for this not to happen, we have to do this. No, for him, it doesn't work that way. There is no possibility. There are only certainties, right? When it comes to that, I needed to quickly clarify that because I needed to, um, for me to be able to go on and for me to be able to talk about various other scriptures, and I'll pause you for a moment, though, Treasure. Yeah. So, okay. so, so, so far, you guys, I hope you are following the conversation and you're not losing anything we're saying so far, what, what Treasure has said. And again, like I mentioned, this is a very um, delicate topic because it's not, this is something that has been debated for many, 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 many centuries. All right. So it's a heavy thing. But I hope that in the process you are thinking, because what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go have we're about to switch to a back and forth kind of situation where 
I'm going to present oppositions to to um, oppositions to you know this position, and just hear what everyone has to say on it. So, in in what Treasure has described now is a God that not only knows the future but determines the future. Not only determines the future, but has one way of going about it, and exactly that way is what will happen. Am I? Is that a correct representation of what you said? Go on, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I think a, a major opposition to that position would be the idea that the fact that God has given individuals free will or the ability to make decisions, and all through Scripture you see that theme of Him requesting from, from right from the very beginning, asking Adam, "Where are you?" or specific cases like with Abraham where he has where he tells him take your son so where he says take your son your only son for example now looking from christological views you see that there is a plan in that right god is trying to show his salvation plan if you remember the story we've talked about types and shadows on bible marathon but what i want to pinpoint here is from treasure's point um and the question is to you treasure would your definition cover for the fact that Abraham going up and deciding to obey God was part of the exact will. Like it was God that caused him to listen to, you know, the instruction to take his son. And then God also made sure that Abraham got there successfully. I don't know if you're getting the flow of the question. Yeah. So did God just determine that ultimately he must have a way of showing this image of Christ being sacrificed and the means are left to the free will such that there is a border to that free will? Or is it that God literally took Abraham, oh yeah, you must take your son and I'll cause you and I'll you know, make you do it. So I don't know if you get the question, just an example, but what do you think on that? Okay. Um, Jerry, you want to say something? You look like you want to say something. <laughs> He turned this video on, so yes. He turned this video on, so that was, that was why. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, okay, so I think what we are coming to now is the the debate section and or the back and forth section. Um to answer his question very directly, I would say that God ordained everything. So it wasn't just a bounded, you know, you must you, this is this is the plan. And so the image that AW Tozo has is that there's a destination, this is and Human free will is like the sheep, and God is like, you guys can do all you want to the sheep and cruise all your way, but at the end of the day, the sheep is somehow going to, the sheep is somehow going to, you guys still hear me? The yeah. the sheep, the sheep is going to go to its destination. destination. So that's that's Edomitoza's view, and some people read scripture that way, but I I don't think so. I would say that. Um, I would say that God ordains all things, um, including the the means um, of which. Yeah. So I could say more, but I just yeah to facilitate the back and forth. Okay. So Jerry, just <laughs> to be you. sure, Jerry is saying Jerry is saying God ordains not only the destination but the destination, means. but the means to that destination. Yeah, right. Is this is this an overarching thing where God does it? for every single thing or specifically for his plan in salvation. Like, because why I'm asking this question is mm-hmm. when we go last week, we had a conversation on seven things I wish people knew about the Bible. 
was a book written by Michael Baird. And one of the points he made is that um, the Bible is primarily a book about God's salvation plan. So there are a lot of things we would see that are only talking about the salvation plan. We might see all the other stories and narratives and all of that, but you must remember that there is a there is a purpose in all of this. And so we don't see all of God's dealings for all time in all situations, but we definitely see God's um, actions which re, which re, uh, with a direction to salvation, if that makes sense. So my question now is basically, okay, is it that God controls every single situation like uh, and people like chess pieces who must do exactly his bidding to bring a purpose or does he do that whole chessboard maneuver for the purpose of salvation that's my question okay um that's a good one i would say first of all the the when we talk about the sovereignty of god we aren't talking about chessboard um, I, I know you, you just is a metaphor. Um, the important thing is to understand and that in some way, salvation history is real history. Uh, and I've been coming to that position as I've been spending more time in the scriptures. Let me put it this way. When we read that Adam died, or Adam, the, we read the story of Adam in Genesis 3. That is history, but that history is also our story. It, that There is a sense where you are Adam. There is an sense. We, we get specifically. For instance, sometimes you pray a prayer, like Psalm 51, right? After you've sinned. And then you go to Psalm 51 and you realize that this is actually, it's almost as if, it was written for you. It's like like it, there is that sense. So when we read salvation history, or for instance, you hear the story of Hitler eating the Jews, and you read Exodus, well, you just get that that's Pharaoh. You know, Hitler is a new Pharaoh. And so I, would, I wouldn't say that he's doing it just for salvation history. I would say that even all of history, in some sense, is a reflection of the story of the bible which is what gives the bible its primacy like in some sense we are all leaving out the story of the bible and the author of, why i make this position is the author of hebrews hebrews 11 like there is a sense where we are by grace of god we are all heroes of the faith we're all so so i wouldn't distinguish between um salvation history draw such a sharp distinction and be like, oh, salvation history, God is sovereign there. But in this history, not so much. But I'll actually say in all of it, in, in that sense. So okay. I don't know if that, yeah, that's my point. Yeah. So, 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 um, and thanks for, thanks for explaining it this way. Because I really, I really think everyone should be able to have a, form, um, a, a structured idea of how, our history as believers is very much the future or like that we're, we're in the same train if, if that makes sense like you mentioned in hebrews 11 so that's so important um i have well let Sir, me at this point um, i think i should Ernest. say does anyone yeah yeah um i know cj raised raised the hand yeah let me that's what i was asking 
let me even make things a bit worse before we now try to like strike the balance. Let, let's hear, let's hear, let's hear from CJ first. Wait, let me, let me, know. let me quickly read, let me quickly read this scripture, please. Just a minute. Let me just quickly read this scripture. Make things worse, then we can just quickly listen to um, what CJ has to say. Um, Proverbs 16, verse 33. Um, Solomon here is talking. And um, Solomon basically says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So let's put it like this. The lot that time is like our dice now. So the dice is cast, but every decision, every face it will probably make or change, whether it's a one or it's two, double two, double three, is basically decided by the Lord. This one, he even makes it worse because he eliminates anything called chance. Like there is nothing like chance. There's nothing like luck. Everything, the die that you cast and everything is basically decided by the Lord. But when you read places like Exodus chapter four, if you can quickly go to Exodus four, uh, to give you a brief, a brief background, when um, God was calling Moses and then Moses was looking for every single excuse not to heed the call of God. And he said, I'm a stammerer and I'm this and I'm that. So from verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So I just wanted to also just put some other background scriptures that kind of shows God in the light whereby it seems like he has complete control over every single situation. Yes, CJ, yeah. please, we'd like to hear so your question. Just, just before CJ comes up, and because the time is running really fast, I want to make sure that we are opening the floor for oppos op opposing positions because um, if if the conversation is left to go this way and we are not having any other views, then it's almost like, okay, we came to teach. And I try to make sure that that's what we're trying to, in a sense, avoid. Obviously, it's going to be a teacher. Very true, very true. Yeah. So, um, but to, to bring, like this verse, let's not go too far from this, this verse here. So, but from what Treasure is saying, and maybe by extension, Jerry's agreeing with, I'm making an assumption here, that God didn't just create the mouth, but he also decided whether they can speak or not. Right? So by extension, and I want us to be careful, and probably you won't see my face anymore, but you hear my voice, the battery just died. But <laughs> um, don't worry, I, once you start talking, I'll switch to batteries. Basically, uh, my question is now, here and, and let's not go too far from this text. Is it because a lot of people have an ex they will have a, a backfire to this? Like, okay, so now if God has planned that this is how we do it, so a person's mouth, right? He made that mouth, but also decided whether they would speak or not. Or right? not. <laughs> that means that all the people that Jesus healed of deafness somehow God had him. <laughs> a part in the deafness. Yeah, I yeah. If you get what I'm enough, saying here. Funny enough, funny enough. Do you remember that scripture that even said when they were asking Jesus, oh, um, that, why that was this I, man's blind? 
that 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 word actually, and I don't want to make this under that conversation. It, yeah, it, it's Let's, yeah. The the Greek actually has different renditions for the word nevertheless. Uh, Jerry, they brought. But I don't want to go in there. <laughs> no, I don't want to go there because I know you're you're about to talk about a verse that mentioned that says, um, you know, they asked him, Jesus, what what did this who who sins? His father, his mother, you know. And yeah, Jesus yeah, said, yeah. you know, it, it says not this man's sin nor his father's mother. I said, but, but then, so people say. But this is so that God will be like I don't want to misquote the scripture. There's a, <laughs> that that word, but the transition word could either be but or nevertheless. So it's more like it's not the sin of this his father, his mother, or him. Nevertheless, I came. Yeah, nevertheless, to yeah. Um, meaning, meaning but, but in opposition this, to this, we're not blaming any of these people for what happened to him. You know, specifically, it's not like because he did this. He used, but he, he, the the thing this. was, he used he used the word uh, paraphrasing loosely that scripture. He uses the word um, not the father's sin or the mother's sin. Yeah. Nevertheless, or but that God will be glorified. Yeah. Nevertheless, God will like be glorified. That. So, like, God is going to use this situation to show His glory and His ability and His power. So we don't want to attribute the the problem to God, but the solution to Him. Because if if, if I don't want to go here, let's 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 not let's, go to deep into let's, this. Yeah, let's 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 just yeah. leave it there. Let's, so before we so, before we um, go ahead, I'm seeing a lot in the I'm seeing I'm seeing a, a lot of um activity in the chat. So let oh, me. Oh, that's um that scripture in Isaiah that, that I love I love I love because it felt like. God said, I will bring upon the Assyrians to punish the Israelites. And then yeah. almost in the same vein, he says, I will punish the Assyrians for punishing the Israelites. Mm-hmm. But have you noticed, then, sorry, I'm sorry for that say, have you because, noticed? He goes for that to say because um, because of the, um, I think because he would attribute it to himself, but basically because of the pride of the Assyrians and everything that was, you know, I, the Lord that brought them and stuff like that. I think, um, as I chapter 10, if I'm not wrong and all that, but anyways, let's, let's leave it to the floor. Let's not just, yeah, let's, back let's come back to the chat. Sorry. I, I want to make sure that we have to cover a lot in, in time. Okay. You guys can still hear me, right? Okay. So CJ, so, yes. let's start with CJ. No, I'll read the chat then, then CJ will speak, please. I just want to make sure we're covering everybody. So there was a, when we started talking, someone, um, Yinka said, why then do people say you have a choice in the salvation talk? So you can see this is the general outflow or the response that comes from this conversation. So it's like, oh, if God is mm. not doing everything, so why, why is our role? Where is our part? And I think that's a question that we need to answer coming to a conclusion in this conversation because as much as God is sovereign, man definitely has a free will response. The, a man needs to believe the gospel Let's not eliminate whether you how you believe that happens is left to your theological position, but it does happen. <laughs> no, wait, wait, hold on. It does happen. Jerry, before you got saved, Jerry, you swear heard a message. <laughs> you heard a message, and it, whether it, whether or not it was uh, you know you know enlightenment and there was irresistible grace or anything, yeah. right? You heard it, you believed it, and now you're saved. And the Bible does command us to believe. The, ma- the Bible also tells us whosoever believes will be saved. So, I mean, no matter what we come to a conclusion on today, fact is there is still that sense in which you have a decision. The Bible um, talks in Romans 11 that certain people actually rejected the message. 
Hebrews 2 mm-hmm. talks about not mixed with faith in those that heard it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so let's read the, the charts quickly and so I, I have some time for everyone else to speak here. So that's um, Yinka's question. Daniel said he was waiting for this. Yeah. So Yinka <laughs> goes ahead to ask, if God has it all planned out and the means are said, so that means not only the end, but the means. So where the does means. the talk around choices come in? So, so uh, Jerry said that's a good question because he has an answer to this. I'm joking. <laughs> All right, then. Um, okay, then let's see. Is there another question? Yinka says, God could have just used his sovereignty and make, make people do what he wants, which is to see all men save them. Hmm, that's a good um, comeback because if the, if the Bible says it's God's desire that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, is there, is there a sense in which God's will falls to the ground? Right, because if he planned that everything will happen in this way, but it's not happening. There's a like quick, there's a quick, there's a quick counter to that. But go ahead. <laughs> chill now, chill. See how I rush. Time is running out. So these are, good running out these are good questions. So I'm I'm reading them because I really want everyone to to think on them and you know um, clearly respond respond as well. Sorry, so there's another guys, part let me, here. Let me say this again. Sorry, Ernest. Let me say this again. The point of this is not to confuse anyone or. Remember when I started in the beginning, when we think about God's sovereignty, as um, Jerry said, we must also think about it in light of his love and other attributes, right? It's not to confuse anybody or to make God look like this authoritarian, right? Or this tyrant that basically just, you know what, I cannot care and I don't care about you or your choices and stuff like that. But it's to get us to think because the point of this right now is to get us to think and see exactly how scriptures portray God to be. Because when it comes to this topic, a lot of times I have seen how, especially in Nigeria, how this has been, permimity is the word, bastardized by a lot of people. And you hear things as funny as um, God cannot operate or do anything if the man does not give him the permission to. And you you hear these things and your ear starts itching you like, what am I hearing? And so we are trying to show you guys from the scriptures and we are going to get to a conclusion so that nobody is yeah. left confused, so, right? So treasure and everything. Sorry, sorry, I keep cutting. I in. think, I right. think, I think, I think, I think, sorry for that. I think uh, because of the time and all, we should try, we should start to drive towards those conclusions. Yeah, that's what, that's what I mean. try that's to what try to lose. Try to tie the loose ends together, please, so that we will. And and here's how we'll tie. Thank you, Yinka, because here's how I think we should tie the loose ends. Because the real question is what Shaitan is asking here. And by extension, what Sami asks first. So Sami says, if God has it all planned out, does it mean that he has also planned for those? um, He has also planned those. He also has those planned for doom. So in other words, a sense, I don't want to call it the theological term, but it would be like double predestination. Like God has determined both who will be saved and both those who will not be. Um, And that's a a valid question that comes from, you know, some of the verses we've read. Um, But Shaitan now has a question here. She says, how then is God love? And I want us to pause and think on that because like Jerry said at the very beginning, one of the things we see about God is that he's love. And um, yeah, he might be the one that defines what love is. But we also know by what we see in scripture, what, as, uh, you know, what love is. Love is sacrificial. Love is going out of one's way. Um, 
So if he is controlling all things and we pretty much don't have a choice, how is God love? So in other words, if God created robots who would do what he desires without asking questions, or maybe they, they think that there's the illusion of free choice or free decision, or God is really the one controlling everything. How is that loving? And then what is also the point of preaching? So a lot of questions will keep coming. So can we, let's start bringing it towards the end. I want CJ to speak and then we'll hear from, uh, from Jerry. And then I really want everyone else that hasn't spoken to contribute here. So CJ, you first. Yeah, so thank you. I wanted to um, basically talk about like, um, get clarification on complete control, right? And and mm-hmm. because I, I always thought of the gospel, like you know, the means of Christ coming and the destination as being complete control. But in terms of God being all knowing, we still have free will to do what we need to do. But God knows the end. God knows who will be saved and unsaved. But that doesn't still change the fact that we are still going to you know accept Christ. It's like watching a game and here. Oh, Chioke beat NS 2-1, right? But when you're watching it, you're still going to, like, actively participate in, you know, seeing, who are, hey, NS, try this, NS, try that. You know, even if you know he's still going to lose at the end. You know, so it's it's like God knows the end, but doesn't change. But but you still have that responsibility of free will. Um, Yeah. So I just want to get clarification on that complete control. Okay. So, so, so just to repeat what CJ is saying, and I think the example you gave is something Frank Turek has given before, where he talked about you play a game, you, you know the end of the game, you know the scores, but it doesn't mean that because you know the scores at the end, even though you've determined the scores at the end, that you are the one particularly making the players pass the ball at 20 sec- 22 minutes thereabouts. So, Daniel, let me hear you out real quick. Yeah, I I really don't want to make any comment per se on what we're discussing so far because anything I add now will probably just drag this conversation longer than I think we have time for. But I just want to highlight because it seems as though what we're primarily doing right now is exchanging thoughts and trying to just think about these issues. Um, But that the important thing, or I think what is most important is what you said already, that at the end of the day, as believers, what we know to be true is that faith in the gospel is what leads to salvation. While as believers, we might have different theological opinions as to how that faith is stirred up in man or where free will comes in or where sovereignty comes in. Um, I just want to, I just want us to bear in mind that regardless of what position you have, um, it's faith in the gospel that unites us and it's faith in the gospel that drives us, at least while we're on this earth, for ministry and evangelism. Um, so, yeah, that's. I don't want to. I don't want to share any opinions on anything right now because it would not be time wise. <laughs> just to add to what Daniel said, I, I really I agree with that because the purpose of this whole conversation, as much as it is helping us to be enlightened and we're growing in knowledge and we're thinking about these philosophical realities, which also are theological, remember that, you know, knowledge has the ability to puff up and we want to make sure that love is what, you know, we have here. There is, we're, we're looking at the point of salvation, what God has, you know, decided or created um, for the redemption of man. And we should revel in that. We should appreciate that and thank God for that. 
and know that you still have a responsibility to hear and believe the gospel. God, someone still needs to preach a message to you to believe. Those are the parts that that's the sphere of influence that we that's what is clear to us, if I can put it that way. Because the moment we understand everything about sovereignty and free will, we are looking at Jesus right, right in the face. That's what I believe. Like we are in heaven. So just have that back of your mind. If it's if it's complicated in your head, that's good. It makes it means you're thinking, and it's very important that you are thinking. All right, let me hand it over to uh, does anyone want to speak before can Jerry? Can I just okay, Jerry, go ahead. So um there are two things I want to say. There is need for us when we talk about this to remember that we are from we are on holy ground and um to remember very clearly as well that this is one of the the mysteries of our faith. Now, a lot of you have asked a lot of questions, but if I want to stab at the questions, I think I want us to go straight into what we talk about when we confess that Jesus Christ is divine and human, right? Um, I want to go to the, the, the two natures. So the two natures of Christ, we confess, all of us who are Christians, we believe that there is one Christ, who has two natures, is divine and is human, right? We, we all believe that. Now, the thing about that is when we confess that, we are confessing a mystery because in some sense we can say, um, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, will die for me? But we know yet that God doesn't die. And But when we confess that thou, my God, will die for me, we are confessing that Christ, who is God, died for us according to his human nature, not according to his divine nature. So we're already trying to do a parting right right there, right? And this is how we speak. Or we talk about the triune God and we talk about the one God, three persons, and yet not three gods. You know, there is a mystery in our faith. How do, what does all this have to do with sovereignty? I think it's very crucial that we must not, I would say this, if I may even be so bold, we must not approach the question mainly through being bounded by time. And, and so I don't think it's helpful to say God knows the future and God, you know, like, oh, because he already knows the future. When you're saying that, you are speaking as somebody bounded in time, right? We are. And, and so it's not helpful, I think, to think in that framework. Instead, I think it's helpful for us to think in terms of primary causes, secondary causes, and ultimate causes, right? And so the primary cause for what we happen in this world most of the time is human sin. That's what we call global warming in some sense. That's what we call the floods in Lagos, that's what you call NSARS, like human sin, basically. The secondary causes for things in this world, a lot of times, is what I'll call ancestral sins. There are things that happen that have nothing to do with you in the 1960s, in the Nigerian civil war, that is still plaguing our country today. There are things that happen that have nothing to do with you in 1914, that is still plaguing, you know, 
in our country today with the amalgamation. And so there are secondary causes. And we know this. We, we, we know it instinctively. Family systems. There are ways that your grand, great-grandparents treated your grandfather, and that's affecting your father in that sense. So, but then when we talk about the alternate cause, we, we confess that God ordains all things. Now, he's not ordaining all things in the same way. What I mean by that is when God is, is um, willing that Jesus Christ be crucified for our sins, it's not the same way he's ordaining that, that he's also ordaining that Job should suffer, right? Because we read the book of Job, Satan went to, you know, God and, and everything, and God gave permission, God ordained that Satan would be able to do that to Job. But it's not the same, it's not with the same nearness and it's not with the same proximity. So to answer, to answer the, the questions as regards preaching and this, preaching is the primary cause. We have to proclaim the gospel. But ultimately, when we believe, we have to confess amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I was, was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. Ultimately, the decisive reason, ultimate reason why we are Christian is the grace of God in Christ Jesus. So it'll be very helpful for you to, I'm not going to walk into a hospital and see a lady who has just been raped and say, God ordained this. It's not helpful. It's not helpful. It's suffering. It's evil. However, I'm going to walk in and see the primary cause for this is that there's sinfulness. And men, I mean, there are, there are, there's wickedness in this world. The secondary cause for this is we live in a pornographic culture. We live in a culture where people are sexually objectifying women day after day. We breathe in. We breathe it in and breathe it out. But the ultimate cause is that God in some way ordained that this will happen. And right now, if you could draw a big circle and call that circle God, right now you are a smaller circle in there. You live in him, you move in him, and you have your being. I don't know how it makes sense that God would let this girl be, be raped. I don't know. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't, like, this is not foreign to his plan. This is, in some way, the outworking of the plan. I know this for certain, and let me say this, I know this for certain, and I'm speaking on rape, I know this for certain, because in history, in the real history, which is the Bible, we see God painting a story so that Tama is raped, there are people who experience sexual violation, and yet God adds their history into the genealogy of the Messiah. Now, I don't know how the rape of my very close friend makes sense in that. I, I'm not saying it all the way, but I do know that in the story of scripture, we can see that God sometimes paints a picture. And even in that picture, the ugly nature of rape is there, but it's leading to a telos. It's leading to an end. And that end is the glory of God and the joy of believers in him. So in summary, primary causes, secondary causes, 
ultimate causes. When you are talking, let's ask ourselves where, in what of those three categories are we talking? When we say Jesus, God healed his son, what do we mean? Are we meaning primary? The primary cause was the Jews. Secondary cause was Roman Empire. But the ultimate cause was God gave his son for us to die for us and to die for our sins. So I don't know if that's not going to resolve the whole thing. It's a mystery. But I think thinking in those three categories will help. And I'm more than happy to stay behind after the time and continue. Sure. Thank you for that. I think, Treasure, sorry, one more moment, please. Okay. So um, I think those categories are very helpful. I was going Understanding, to say, yeah, those categories, those categories, you say I'm reading your mind. Those yeah, categories yeah. are very helpful in understanding how things happen. You cannot absolve God from happenings because you would have to cut off yeah. half of the scripture. There are things that happen and they are part of God's ultimate plan. Now, it's not like God um, sinned. Or God, because there is no sin in God, there is no evil with God. The Bible is very clear on that. But in a sense, there is a permissive thing where God allows the crucifixion of His Son for a greater purpose. Or like Jeremiah said, the, you know, Tamar is raped, and somehow that ends up playing out as being part of the ultimate plan of salvation in some weird way. And that's that's the mystery of God. That's why. In Romans 11, what does Paul do at the end of his explanation of this Jew-Gentile mystery, you know, grafted in and all of the bunch of, he just ends and says, oh, the depths of the wisdom of God, his ways are past finding out, his judgments are inscrutable. So we need to leave here. That's why I'm saying this now, because we're already out of time. We're still going to talk for those who want to stay back and, you know, I want to gist, I still want to gist. But to bring it to a conclusion, remember that like Jerry said, like holy ground. This is a mystery that will not be solved here and now, and it's intentional. We cannot know all of God because his ways are inscrutable. His judgments are, I mean, he's deep. He's God. <laughs> he's God. So I think what helps us is to understand that this is why he's worthy of worship. In all of these things, we can trust in his goodness. We can trust that he's good. And that's why if anything bad happens in your life, or any bad situation happens, know that you are still loved by God. Know that there is hope. Know that he's, he hasn't left you or forsaken you just because things are happening, either by primary cause or secondary causes, but he is love and he will always remain love. And I think this is very important. This is super important. So I, I want to pause there. I think Treasure wants to say something and then I'll share some announcements of what we have coming up and we're okay. good to I don't, I don't know, like, um, as Jerry said, maybe we'll do the after Bible marathon so that we can all just trash it out. But let sure. me quickly jump my own conclusion that I wrote down. Um, there's a place in Joshua God told Joshua that, go, I have delivered these people into your hands. But the Bible recorded something. Joshua still went to go and plan with his people, right? He still went to go and tell, okay, this is how we will do it. This is the tactics by how we will do it and everything. Most times when people think of free will and sovereignty, like the way we have painted it, they think of it as two separate entities that clash against one another. But what we see within the scripture is not two separate entities clashing with one another, but we see it as 
each of them working to, as Jerry has already mentioned, the ultimate purpose of God, right? And so at the back of our minds, we have it that, yes, the scriptures shows us that God has ordained, but in his wisdom, right, and in his ordination of things and all, we see the fact that sin comes into the world. You see, the, and it is not, we cannot come and say, God, you were the one that made me to sin and all those kind of stuff. Not at all. You see the fact that, think about it, no matter where you stand in the spectrum, you ask yourself the question, God is all present. Why is it that he knew, or he saw Adam and Eve and what was going on? And then he didn't just step in and say, Adam, my son, what are you doing? And everything. He could have, right? And everything. It points to the fact that there is an ultimate purpose. And in his ultimate purpose, we see the fact that God's sovereignty and man's responsibility slash man's free will are interwoven, right? To bring about the ultimate purpose of God. And we see this happen a lot of times. And it's so funny because there's even a scripture in the Psalms that says he has even set a boundary to the wickedness of men. So no matter how the wickedness one reach, boundary day <laughs> and everything. And so for those that still want to stay outside so we can properly delve into it one by one and stuff like that. But basically, the long and short is God is sovereign, man is responsible. God is sovereign, man has free will, right? He has woven each, he has done it in such a way that at the end of the day, his sovereignty and the free will of man will interwoven in such a way that it goes to what his ultimate purpose. So from before the foundations of the world, the Bible tells you about the lamb that was slain. But when we now look at it in history, how did that right? And everything. And we see, okay, the Jews, as Jerry mentioned, primary cause, secondary cause. So we need to have it at the back of our minds that God is sovereign, man's responsibility, responsible. Everything is interwoven in such a way that it would all end to the ultimate purpose, which is to the praise and glory of his glorious name and power. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for that. Um, conclusion. So let me just share some. Um... Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you'd like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon project, visit our website bit.ly/bmglive4 for more details. That's bit.ly/bmglive4 for more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy in your faith.